it's better to be candid than to be candy coated. Mm. A chief of staff knows how to tell the truth when it's important and what sets of action are logical to be talking about. That's a productive dialogue. And I think that's something that is that chiefs must, must have. Obviously, trust. So being and it's a learned skill, right? It's a learned skill to understand so, personality types, to be able to speak so that it is heard. I think so. And I and you you said it, you said this a moment ago. At their core, a solid, effective chief of staff is a relationship builder. Welcome to the Rising Leader Podcast, where being a high achiever doesn't necessarily equate to being an effective leader. Let's check to see if you're in the right place. If you're rising through the ranks of your organization so fast that your leadership skills need to grow as fast as your responsibilities, you're in the right place. If it seems you need different skills to lead your team or lead from within a group of talented, competitive peers, you're in the right place. If you're looking to become a trusted advisor to the CEO, you are definitely in the right place. So now that we know that you're in the right place, enjoy today's conversation. Before we begin the show, I have something for you. The Rising Leader Handbook will be published in January of 2024, but you don't have to wait. Go to my website, www.markjsilverman.com and click the red button. There you can get an advanced copy of the executive summary of the Rising Leader Handbook. And in the same place, you can get a free copy of Only Tens. I'd love to hear your feedback. Now on with the show. Being a coach, being a solo entrepreneur can be a, a lonely job. And the, the really important thing when you have a job like this is to stay supported, is to keep a community of people. And I've been part of different coaching communities. Uh, my coach, Rich Litvin, curates a few. And I, I want to make sure that I'm hanging around with people who are going to help me up-level my game, who are also going to help me see my blind spots, who are going to love me, who are going to help me when I fail, the people who are just going to be all around me. So I get to meet some of the most wonderful people. And I met my next guest just over Zoom because someone said we should meet. And it was like instant friend. You know, when you meet someone and it's like instant friendship and we just should be, we just should be friends. And then we, you know, was both so busy and she was writing a book. I'm writing a book and we got, got kind of busy. And then we wound up in the same workshop together. Same thing happened immediately. It's like, there's 30 people in the, in the room. I only care about one. It's this one wonderful woman, but officially, officially my guest is Lori Aaron, the founder of Aaron Coaching LLC, a premier executive coaching firm in Dallas, Texas. She has 27, over 27 years of experience in corporate Fortune 10 company. Lori gained multidimensional expertise in sales leadership, operations, strategic planning, and business transformation. She's also served as the chief of staff to senior executives. She's recognized as one of the top 20 coaches in Dallas. She's passionate about being a trusted advisor and executive coach to C-suite executives. She's written a book, and that's why she's here today, not just because I love her and she's my friend. She wrote a book called Who Has Your Back? A Leader's Guide to Getting the Support You Need from the Chief of Staff You Deserve. It's an insightful book that delves into the dynamics of leadership and the vital connection between leaders and their chiefs of staff. Lori, thank you for being here. Oh, thank you for having me, Mark. Happy to be here. I did that whole thing without reading glasses, so I was I was really proud of myself. Only only a only a few only a few only a few stumbles, but you and I you and I've been kind of friendly now for about a year year and a half, and mm -hmm. I've been watching you and your your insights and your just your general coaching 
in general, has been one of the top I've seen of anybody, both heart and expertise. I didn't even know you were writing this book. I knew it was a focus of yours, but I didn't know you were writing this book. Why did you take on this particular topic, write this? Because this is this is the book I didn't know we needed until you wrote the book. And then, and everybody else, also the same thing. It's like, oh my God, why didn't anybody write this book before? So why yeah. you, why now? It's it, Thank you. It's a great question. And to, to bottom line it for you, I wrote the book that I needed and that my clients need to demystify the relationship with a chief of staff. It's a... Mark, it's such a misunderstood role. People don't understand what it is. It can be anything from an accessory to a deeply trusted number two. And and it's all over the board and all in between. So I wrote this book to make it a tangible, realized resource for people. I've done the role. I coach the role. And I know what impact it can drive when the when the match is made well and the magic starts to happen between the leader and the chief. So this is the book that I didn't have when I became a chief. Mm. It's the book that my leaders that I served didn't have when they hired a chief. So my hope is that it fills in that void and makes it really easy to hire your number two. Yeah. So it's very, it's so, we were talking before the mic came on. I love the way you laid it out. It's so perfect for, it, there's not a lot of fluff in here, right? It's, This is who you are. This is what you need. This is the steps to get there. If you're off course, it's this way, correct this way. And, and, and you even gave a map of here's where you're being not effective. Here's where you're being somewhat effective and here's where you're rock star. So the whole thing is done really well. The question I have you answer right in the book is what is the difference between an executive assistant, a COO, a chief operating officer, and a chief of staff? I think about the book rocket fuel. We have visionaries and implementers. Yep. Does that marry up? Totally. It totally does. And it's really a great orientation. But first, let me address your point about the book being structured the way that it is. I wrote the book for a CEO or a C-suite leader. And you and I both know, because we work with them all day long, you only get a, a, a specific amount of time to sort of make your point. So this book is written so that a CEO can digest it in a matter of two hours. I know it's an airplane ride and you're done. Yeah, pick it up on JFK. And by the time you get to O'Hare, you're going to know all you need to know. I wrote it in a way that is easy to digest and most importantly, take action on. So thank you for reflecting that back. That was the intention going into it. I'll I'll actually add to that just to be interruptive is that it's also a reference though. You read it and now you can bookmark it and you can go back because of, because of the resources that you have in there. So good. In some ways it's a how-to book, right? I, I have made it easy and tangible to go do this. So hire a chief of staff. So you, you ask a really good question and a common question, which is, well, what's the difference between a chief of staff and a COO and a chief of staff and an executive assistant? Let me answer them in that order. Oftentimes, the chief of staff and the COO are misunderstood. I would say that the difference between them in terms of general responsibilities is that the chief of staff's primary responsibility is to provide support to the CEO office, to the senior executive. They're acting as a a trusted advisor, a confidant. They would handle a wide range of tasks that would be centered around managing the executive schedule, facilitating deliverables, making sure that the team is aligned on timeframes, et cetera, around important things in the business. Whereas the COO's general responsibilities is overseeing 
and optimizing day-to-day operations. So they are more focused on the company and how it's running, more implementing operational strategies. They're improving efficiencies. Their range is wider, whereas the chief of staff is deeper for Hmm. the leader. So just the the general scope is, is, is a bit different. This, the chief of staff oftentimes reports directly to the COO and is at the ELT meetings or the senior leader meetings. The COO is an ELT member, and they usually have direct reports from all over the business. So they're, I look at the chief of staff and the COO as partners in oh, the business okay. with very much aligned focuses, but one is serving the business, one is really serving the CEO office. So, but you said that, so you say often the, the chief of staff. Uh, reports to the COO directly to the CEO. That's right. No, no, to the CEO because I heard you say COO. So I. I oh, was, I'm sorry. No, I was no. Gonna, going to question that because I didn't. That no, didn't no. Make any sense to me. Thank you for that clarification. So, so the bottom line is they really don't overlap. They sit together, serving the mission, albeit from from different seats. Now, uh-huh. your second question is about the difference between a chief of staff and an executive assistant, and here's what I make sure all my clients are aware of right away. They are both critical, they are both essential, and they have to get along really well. There has to be chemistry between those two individuals because together they support the the CEO. Here's the difference. The EA is all things administrative. They may be more than that, but their core responsibilities are all the logistics, all the administrivia, so planning meetings, agendas, email management, you name it. And you and I both know that is a critical role to a CEO. If you're properly supported on the day-to-day administrivia, home run. The chief of staff is doing more of the strategic support. So they're making sure that the top initiatives that the company is running are, are trackable, are on a timeline. People are held accountable. They are driving influence between functions where there might not be agreement. Anything that could jeopardize an initiative. Different focus. One of my CEOs said it really well. He said, my chief of staff is my right hand. My EA is my left hand. And together we soar. Mm. You can't do it without both of them. And I always coach my clients not to mix the two up because they are, in other words, don't load up your chief with a bunch of administrivia because when they say yes to that, they're going to be saying no to something else. Very different roles, but very important. Right. So, you know, it's interesting because I was talking to in one of one of the companies I'm working in, I was talking about before I saw it, before I saw your book or anything, I was thinking about the, the CEO's executive assistant and very powerful woman, totally on top of it. And I was thinking about maybe she could be elevated to chief of staff because he needs a chief of staff. And the more we thought about it, the and this was even before I understood from reading your book what it was needed, there was a certain amount of, not gravitas, but they need to be able to speak for the CEO. They need to yes. have the respect of the entire organization because that's the only way they can be a wall to have the CEO focus on what the CEO needs to focus on. So I like to think about the chief sprint as a 18-month sprint. The very beginning is where they're serving the leader, they're assessing his or her needs, they're really listening for what are the strengths, what needs to be happened, they're making sure things aren't going to break. But it's a lot of intake at the beginning of the role. The second six months are more around putting their stamp on the business, building processes where things are redundant or need to be repeated. They are killing processes that don't work and are bottlenecked. 
they're putting their stamp on the work because they're there. And in that third trimester, your leader so well, and you have built so much trust with the functional department heads that you are thinking for your leader, you are representing your leader in meetings, you're putting that ball in the end zone because you're there. It's literally a cycle type role with a set of playbooks. And that's the general evolution of the role. I do, I do, I have seen EAs get promoted into a chief role. I have not seen it done very successfully because at its core, it really is a different skill set. And it's not common to grow into that role that I have seen, not in my experience. Sure. And, and again, the, the when when the chief of staff speaks to anyone in the organization, there has to be trust that they are speaking for the CEO. Let's talk about let's talk about being a trusted advisor. Sure. And being able to speak truth to power. Like how much of that do you need in your chief of staff? It's number one. I think it is a number one quality. I think once somebody becomes a chief of staff, it's not an entry-level role. You sort of earn your way there. I grew into the role being known as a compassionate truth teller. So I kind of tell the truth. I hide nothing. I hold nothing back. You and I both work with Rich, so we know what that feels like. But I try to do it in a bit of a love bubble with compassion, lay out what needs to be said, because that's when things get interesting. And we have to remember, CEOs are very busy people. They need the truth like they need oxygen. So if their own chief of staff isn't direct, then they're not going to be properly supported and reach their fullest expression as a leader. So to me, truth-telling is, it's not just essential, it's critical to the role. If, if not from the chief of staff, then where are they going to get the truth? In the in the Rising Leader program and in and in my book that's coming out in January, it's I teach leading up, becoming a trusted advisor. There's a certain set of rules. There's a certain way of being in order to be a trusted advisor to someone who is so busy and so responsible. What what do you, what do you think the traits are that a trusted advisor needs to have? Well, they need to be trustworthy. They need to know what makes them trustworthy. They are able to decipher what to hold close mm. and what needs to be used. I think they know how to gather information and how to share the truth without compromising maybe the people they heard something from or what the source is. They know how to do that very carefully. And I think that that's, that is finesse and that's an art. So they know how to play in that space very well. I think a trusted confidant is providing advice, counsel, options in service of the mission, in service of what needs to be done to run that business. They are not, in other words, people pleasers. I think one of the things I say in the book, Mark, that has got a little bit of play is it's better to be candid than to be candy coated. Mm. A chief of staff knows how to tell the truth when it's important and what sets of action are logical to be talking about. That's a productive dialogue. And I think that's something that is that chiefs must must have. Obviously, trust. So being and it's a learned skill, right? It's a learned skill to understand so, personality types to be able to speak so that it is heard. I that's think so. And I and you you said it. You said this a moment ago. At their core, a solid, effective chief of staff is a relationship builder. They are at their core, knowing how to develop trust. Mm -hmm. how to gain influence, especially if you don't have command and control. These people do not report to you, but you know exactly where the bottlenecks are and what needs to be ironed out. And you go do it before it ever reaches the CEO. That's wisdom. That's a bit of savvy. 
that's the type of chief of staff I work with for CEOs. I, I don't usually work with entry-level CEO mm-hmm. or chiefs of staff, but more people that are honing their craft and want to reach their peak. Mm-hmm. And that's that's where the biggest joy is, I think. The, the, so the one in, in the evolution of a chief of staff in one of your charts, you talk about being trusted with company information. Yes. With 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 the most sensitive, with the most held close company information. Right. So it, when you say it takes a, a certain amount of time to gain, I'm sure I'm sure people, CEOs take their chief of staffs from place to place to place, because once you establish that trust. Yes, it's, it's invaluable. True. It's true. It's true. And I think a solid chief of staff is really solution oriented. And again, they serve the mission and they serve the CEO. That's the job end to end. And they know how to not get distracted. But a lot of critical decisions that are made need to have data behind them. They need to be data-driven. And so what a solid chief will do is go out and get the information needed to provide the CEO with those options. Here's the options as I see them. They're evidenced by what the data is saying. I'm not making this up because it's a Tuesday, for example. They really are data-driven. They know where to go in the business to get the data. They're able to do that with some savvy and then not compromise or create any kind of leak around something. And it is it is an art. I think they need to ascertain really, really quickly what part of this is shareable and what part of this needs to be held close. And when that's done well, it can be really extraordinary. Yeah, it, it sounds it. How do you know when you need a more than an executive assistant, you need a chief of staff? So thank you for asking that question. The the way the book is structured is the first half of the book is essentially the biggest problems leaders face and how a chief can help them. So believe it or not, it's what, 2023 still. One of the research says that one of the biggest problems CEOs still face is time management. How am I leveraging my time? And then how can a chief help them? A lot of leaders are still focused on minutiae and doing things that could easily be delegated to other leaders in the organization. They get caught doing things that are out of their zone of genius. So a chief of staff can come in and help uh, reconcile all of that and make sure the work gets done by the right person in the right department so that that leader can stay in their visionary state, for example, or worry about the business tomorrow, maybe acquisitions or integrations, but not minutia. So when they're feeling the pain of being stretched in different directions and having competing demands and not knowing what to do, that's when they can use a chief of staff. Here's another one. I see this all the time, Mark. When a leader is at a, an executive meeting or an ELT meeting and they're ideating, right? And they're visionarying, whatever it is that they do. When you see a bunch of yes people in the audience or around the table, literally trying to catch the action items and turn it into work, it creates a lot of chaos and a lot of you know, unproductivity, if you will. And that happens all the time. To land it here, if you're surrounded by yes people, people that don't challenge you as a CEO, you're going to you're going to be spinning up work and not even knowing it because you're not challenged, you're not told the truth. People just want to please you. Chief of staff comes in and says, "No, no, 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 no. I know this is an ideation. All these things are great for the room, but not everyone's going to stick to the walls." So that chief of staff will go back to the function heads afterward and say, "All right, everybody, rally the troops." These are the three ideas that align with our mission. These are the ones we should go permeate, for example. So that's one way to make sure that a chief 
executes on the strategy and vision from the CEO, but in a really, really efficient way. Not every idea needs oxygen. It just that makes does. so much sense. I love that because I was just thinking about that. I've I've said more than once to a leader, when you speak, your team listens. You may yeah. just be ta- spouting ideas because that's what who you are, and they're already running with it or thinking that that's where you need to go. And a chief of staff can clear all that up because they'll know the priorities. They'll know what's important. They'll know where resources need to go. And here's another really big one. You've probably seen this in your work as well. But look, you know, when a CEO has a vision or a mission that they're that they're aiming for, the top initiatives that lie underneath that mission are critical to the mission being reached and realized. And so what a chief of staff will do is make sure that there's alignment around those initiatives, that there are owners, that there's accountability and that there's tracking. When there's not alignment between functions, you and I both know those timeframes and those initiatives can be compromised and then missions aren't reached. So one of the things that I've seen chiefs of staff do really well is with influence, go drive alignment with all the constituents around an initiative, for example, to make sure it stays on track and is not jeopardized. And they do that with their relationship building skills. Mm. It's something to hire for, someone that is not afraid to go in there, align everybody around what we're doing and make sure that nothing's jeopardized. CEO should never have to get involved with that. Mm. That's essentially one of the biggest things the chief of staff can do. So you just started to touch on it. What kind of a person makes a good chief of staff? So trustworthy, someone who is comfortable with some ambiguity, but has a bias toward action. They know how to take something that might be a little abstract and turn it into tactical execution assigned to an owner, et cetera. So very action-oriented, someone who's got a strong business acumen. They may not need to be a subject matter expert on a specific thing, if you will, or area of expertise, but they're they're magical dot connectors. They know how what one person is doing relates to the other thing, and they know when they need to be talking. So someone who has a clear set of acumen and can, and can see that we talked about being a relationship builder. I've seen great chiefs of staff coach. So mm-hmm. helping a leader really stay in their strength, understanding where the limiting beliefs are, moving them out of the way. So coach-like behaviors. Those are the types of attributes. I, I'd like to see formal education and MBA is always preferred. Someone that has some kind of financial acumen, but you do not need to create a bunch of spreadsheets. You need to be able to read a PL and know what are the three things this PL is telling us and what should we do. So those are the types of things that I coach my leaders to go find. And chemistry is also really important. Chemistry is does this work? It's like a date. Does this actually fit? Am I willing to talk to this person all day long? Do I want to travel with them? Because a lot of times you're traveling with your leader. That's hard to measure, but it can be certainly felt. I think. Yeah, I think it's essential. It's, it's so interesting. I think you're. I think you're describing a unicorn, because yeah. you're, de- you're describing a, an implementer, yeah, who has mad relationship skills, and totally. and so 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 they are worth when when they say that uh, there there are seven visionaries to every implementer. Yeah, but there are how many visionaries to the number of implementers who have relationship skills and can actually build, be a leader in a team. It, it's a, it's such a breathtaking 
job if you if if it's something that you can do. So I'm sure they're paid really well. They're paid really well. I can share that with you too. But if if I were to line up 10 CEOs against a, against a wall and ask them what do they value most in their current chief of staff, assuming that it's a working working well relationship, all of them would easily have in one of their top three top three things they would say that he or she gets shit done. I mean, they just put the ball in the end zone. And so the other attribute I wanted to share is they're very operationally driven, biased toward action, I mentioned, but they understand how to get something from here to here. And they know exactly what the path is, who needs to agree on it. They think that way, they bleed that way. So I I often write that into a job description and I put it in the interview set of questions I give my leaders. Nice. How do you know how do you know if you're a bad candidate to be a chief of staff? If you are not astute at some of the things we just talked about, I wouldn't aim for the role. I let me change the question modify just a little bit so I can answer it this way. If you're a leader and you have a chief of staff and it's not working very well, how do you know? I would say you're still feeling the problems that you Mm. had before you hired a chief. So you're probably still being pulled in every direction with all these competing demands. You might be diving into the minutiae when you shouldn't be. Someone else should be carrying that into the business so that you can stay in your zone of genius. If If you're still feeling the pain that was associated with not having a chief of staff and you have one, Mm. that's a sign you ought to go look at how effective the relationship is. And I'm not saying throw the baby out with the bathwater. I'm saying ascertain if this is workable and I can help you fix it, model it, communicate, collaborate. And also if it isn't a good match, let's gracefully help the chief find another role within the firm and get you properly supported. Right. The question, the follow-up question is, how do you know it's not you, it's them? Right, like how do you how do you know it's the so, way you are leading and managing your chief of staff? It's, it's one of the reasons why when I started my business coaching CEOs and chiefs of staff, I created a scorecard, a, a way to measure the effectiveness of a chief, and that scorecard is to be used by the CEO and by the chief of staff. Why? Because they both may answer those questions differently. One may feel like you are not hitting it out of the park. The other might feel like, holy smokes, I'm just nailing this. So. They both fill it out. They look at the top responsibilities of the chief of staff and they they really rate, am I struggling in this area or am I striving in this area? And I, I wrote that scorecard because there's nothing that exists to measure the success That's, of the That team. scorecard is in the book. It's in the book. That's and right. Is, is it on your website? And it's on my website. Great. Okay. Go yeah. on. Yeah. And, and, and I think it's been quite powerful because it gives you a place on the map. Like why go hire somebody if you don't know where you're suffering yet? It really informs the interview process. In fact, one of the things I talk about in the book, we just mentioned this Mark is I believe in having an interview squad when it comes to hiring your chief. Why, why do I, why do I say that? If you hire a chief without two or three other people from your team weighing in on on that decision, you may make the mistake of hiring what you want versus what you need. And we both know that that's a very different scenario. So I insist when my leaders are hiring a chief of staff that they build a small squad made up of two or three other people on the ELT, certainly an HR leader as well, who's a people first leader at its core. And that together you all have time interviewing the chief because those people may see the chief, the CEO office differently than you as the leader, 
they may see what your strengths are and know what the business would thrive hiring versus just somebody that's an easy you know, assistant to you. So I really believe in the interview squad and I believe in asking critical questions that tease out what that chief really has to bring to the table. I would I would say that it's more than May. It's probably they know more than you do about what you need. To the the other thing I think it does is it 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 fosters buy-in. If if the other leaders in the organization have a say on who's going to be your chief of staff, they're starting with a relationship with that person. And look at it this way: the chief of staff's got to get work done through other people, so they absolutely respectfully should be a part of the process. Now, I'm not about lengthening interview processes. That's not what I'm suggesting here at all. It didn't it didn't sound like it. It's, uh, it, it sounds no, I am all about efficiency, but I, I want the decision to be made the right way. And, and I talk in the book about finding the perfect chief of staff for you, not finding the perfect chief of staff. It's like a marriage. It is literally like a professionally intimate relationship, much like a marriage. In fact, I talk a little bit about the handshake meeting. At the beginning of every relationship, the CEO and chief have what I call a handshake meeting, which is the equivalent of marriage vows. How are we going to be together? How are we going to work together? How do we want to handle conflict together? Do we want to text? Do we want a voicemail? It can be all of the above. The handshake meeting sets the relationship up for success. It's a must-have, and it's often missed. So I, I facilitate a lot of those for my clients. The other thing, I'll just I'll just keep telling you things I love about you. <laughs> so again, this can be whether or not you need a chief of staff, then how to hire a chief of staff. But you can also, if you have a chief of staff, yeah. Yeah. this this tells you where you are and yeah. how to get where you want to go. That's and right. my guess is, if you are a chief of staff, you could read this book bring it to your CEO and say, hey, look, here's how we can improve. Well, listen, I <laughs> I wrote the book for the leader, the CEO, the C-suite leader, the senior executive who is considering a chief of staff. Right. I'm seeing a ton of chiefs of staff also buy the book and leaders buy the book for their chief of staff. And they're learning a lot about what problems their leader's facing. So from that standpoint, it's been invaluable. But I will tell you, I am writing another book. It's coming out first quarter and it's designed for the chief of staff. It's all about how to nail your first 90 days as chief. The idea being that there's a pair of books here to really teach people how to maximize this relationship so that impact can be reached. So I love that they're both, I I love that both populations are reading the book, but I have another one coming. Yeah, no, because when I was reading, I was like, if I was a chief of staff, I would totally buy this book and and read it because it doesn't even take reverse engineering. You know exactly what you, you need to be doing. There's not a lot of content like this out there. It's still, even since 2007, a very misunderstood role. And there aren't a lot of peers. Chiefs are usually the reflection of what their leader needs. And each leader is unique, just like every chief of staff is unique. So I felt like it needed to have some clarity and order. And that's really what drove the whole thing. Brilliant. So smart. Will you come back when you write the next book? I would love to come back if you'll have me. Thank you. I will, I will totally have you. <laughs> so this 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 is great. So the book is Who Has Your Back? A Leader's Guide to Getting the Support You Need from the Chief of Staff You Deserve. This is Lori Aaron. Lori, if people need, want, must have more of you, where will they find you? 
Thank you. LoriAaron.com is my website. The book is sold anywhere that you can buy a book, mostly Amazon. I'm seeing Amazon traction there. And I'm doing, uh, I'm, I do workshops. I come in and work with leaders individually or as a pair with their chief of staff. So I'm eager to spend time in this space. I'm really, really passionate about it. Brilliant. I thank you for coming on. I thank you for your friendship, for your guidance and mentorship, because you're brilliant. Thank you for being on my show. Thank you so much, Mark. To everybody else, I appreciate your time and attention more than I love you. Have a great rest of the day. Thank you for joining today's conversation. If you got value, please share the episode, give us a thumbs up, write us a review. And if there's a topic you'd like us to cover or a question that you have, send them my way. Look forward to connecting on the next episode of the Rising Leader Podcast.